0: Today, on the Ward Preacher Podcast, the Hebrew baby in the Nile, flight from Egypt and a new dispensation. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. Our Come Follow Me curriculum for the coming week will bring us into Exodus, Exodus 1 through 6. So let's uh, talk about some of the the introduction to what was going on in this time. Um, after, at the end of Genesis, we leave with Joseph uh, bringing his family into Egypt, into the land of Goshen, and uh, things were good. They weren't going to starve to death. Uh, they had a place to stay. Things were, were looking good for the children of Israel. Uh, they were not living in the promised land, the land of Canaan, but they were doing well. Now, uh, Exodus begins by explaining that there arose a king that knew not Joseph, There's all sorts of upheaval happening in various empires at the end of the Bronze Age when the the former great empires collapsed. um, Egypt survived, but it's unsurprising that they had different dynasties and people from different places taking over and running things a little bit differently. Um, All sorts of rebellion and turmoil. And so it's not really surprising that um, when somebody else came into power that really didn't understand what Joseph had done or any previous agreements, that they would look on the Hebrews as kind of outsiders, that they weren't a part of the Egyptian tradition, and uh, that they had the potential to cause a lot of problems. There just started being a lot of them. And uh, so they wanted to control them, to ensure that Egypt would prevail. So they subjugated them, uh, put burdens on them, eventually put them into full-fledged slavery. They had to make bricks in order to have what they needed. They had all sorts of tasks they had to do. Still, that wasn't enough. So they started uh, killing The males, they said, the girls can stay. They aren't going to rebel. We can deal with them. But the men might cause a rebellion. Um, And so Pharaoh ordered all of the midwives, all the people helping uh, the Hebrews to give birth, that if it was a girl, they can save that alive. But if it's a boy, they need to be killed. And the Egyptian midwives, (laughs) actually very... uh, very good, very moral and ethical of them, uh, opposed these orders and claimed, oh, yeah, we. I'm sure we would, but the Hebrew women are lively um, and they're having sons even before we arrive and so we can't really do anything about that. So, unfortunately, that means Pharaoh takes the next step and goes around and takes the male children and kills them, throws them into the river. So, In these dangerous circumstances, where it's very perilous to have a male Hebrew baby, uh, Amram and Yaqabed of the tribe of Levi had a second son, a baby boy. And when Yaqabed could no longer hide him, she put him into a basket, made it waterproof, set it into the river and let him float around. The baby's sister, Miriam, watched from a distance to see what would happen to her little brother. Pharaoh's daughter found the basket, and when they opened it up, they realized that it was one of the children of the Hebrews. Miriam, nearby, quickly recommended that she knew a Hebrew woman who could come and nurse the child for her. Um, the the child's actual mother was, of course, who she had in mind, Jacobed. And so Moses's mother was able to help raise the child, even though the child was named Moses and considered... Uh, has Hebrew meaning, but also an Egyptian meaning, meaning to draw out, uh, because she drew him out of the river. Um, And he he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Um, It's important to note, God could have stopped these killings from taking place. He could have changed circumstances uh, and prevented these dangers from appearing at all. But he provided instead a simple way whereby this particular child was delivered. And that's important. This is a type. This is something that is applicable. God is unlikely to remove all of the difficulties that his children face, but he's quick to provide strength and opportunities using even simple means whereby his children can endure and gain strength and understanding. It's something that uh, put Moses in a unique position. All right, so we go to uh, getting out of Egypt. When Moses was grown, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster smiting one of the Hebrews. And in defense of this Hebrew, he looked this way and that, and came and slew the Egyptian, hid the body in the sand. Now, it's important to note that Moses was not a murderer. Um, He was acting in defense of another. He wasn't just plotting uh, to to secretly kill people so that he would get power. He was trying to stop this Hebrew individual from being um, abused by the Egyptian taskmaster. He wasn't a murderer. He did kill, he was not a murderer. And there's an important distinction between those ideas. Um, Eventually he sees a couple of the Hebrews fighting with one another and he kind of tells them, you know, you're supposed to be brethren, why are you fighting? And they retort back, one of them retorts back, are you gonna slay us the way you did that Egyptian? And immediately he knew he was in trouble. Somebody knew about the dead Egyptian that he hid. So he needed to get out of dodge. Um, Pharaoh found out about it, but it was too late. Moses had already departed the land uh, and and went to the land of Midian in Arabia. Now, this is a land that a few hundred years earlier, this would have been well within Egypt's power. And if Pharaoh wanted something there, he would have sent people and they would have made this happen. But that wasn't the case anymore. These centuries... Um, at the end of the Bronze Age, had made Egypt's reach, and the reach of many other places, shrink considerably. And that was very important because it was setting the stage, even though there were a lot of disasters and famines and troubles all over the world, it was setting the stage whereby the children of Israel would be able to come back to the land of their inheritance. Now in Midian um, he finds a group of women who are being harassed by other shepherds and he helps them out and he helps to, to water their flocks um, and then they go back to their, their father, Reuel, or Jethro and uh, explain the situation. He says, well why don't you invite him to come eat with us? You know, seems like a good guy. And uh, so they go back and they invite him. And Moses stays with them, finds favor with Jethro, and marries uh, his daughter Zipporah. And with her has a son, Gershon. Eventually, after years of living in Midian, Pharaoh uh, dies. And God remembers the covenant That he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not to say he forgot it. This is to say that he knew it was time to bring his people out of Egypt to start a new dispensation. All right, let's go into some reading. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and beheld the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So, um, climbing a mountain... To be close to God was a sign that, unlike the pagan gods of various countries and kingdoms of the day, God was not just an ageless mortal or a petty immortal who indulged in lusts and impulses. God is above us. And this is actually radically different from the very human like gods that everyone else worshipped, they'd make their images of people or animals or some amalgamation of people and animals, like the Egyptians and and others did, uh, and uh, and they give them very human-like qualities. They would uh, get angry with one another and have little petty fights and seek revenge, and they wouldn't know everything. They were very human-like. This was not who Moses spoke to. He went up to a mountain above humanity and he encountered face to face God. In the Pearl of Great Price we read that he was so blown away by how little mankind was um, that he had to he had to take a rest. He had to step back. And that's kind of important, because it's, it is it is radically different. It was dispensing the truth about God, that he wasn't just a powerful human like Pharaoh. Um, he was above all of us. And he had something to do that transcended the temporary lives that they were leading. So speaking of that, God gave Moses an assignment. And Moses, realizing his insignificance, ends up being a bit hesitant. Here's some more reading. Verses 8 through 11 of Exodus 3. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a flowing land a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Now, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses had thought he was in a position to help his fellow Hebrews before, when he slew that Egyptian. And it nearly cost him his life, and the Hebrews really didn't appreciate him. Um, not only that, but he had found contentment and happiness With his family in Midian, these seemed like good things. Wouldn't the Lord wish him to be happy? He was not certain he was in a position to do anything for his brethren. Um, God answered that he would be with him. And that, as a token, they would, after they departed Egypt, serve God upon that very mountain with all Israel. The rejection of Moses' help in Egypt had been the clue to let him know that he needed to flee. Um, And so naturally, he was a little concerned that the Israelites would reject him again. So he kept bringing up these objections or these concerns to the Lord. Um, He asked, what was the name of the God who bid him to come? When they asked, who told you to, to come? What should he say? And this is the answer in Exodus three fourteen and 15. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, have sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations." So this term, I am, it's, uh, it's significant. We, we kind of get the idea this was going to be the way that they would recognize that this is God. And he uses this confusing term, I am. Now, in Hebrew, um, tenses work a little bit different than they do in English, where you have like a past and a present and a pseudo-future. Um, there's in, in Hebrew, it's based on the, the imperfect and the perfect. And there are other clues to talk about whether something is happening in the past or whether it's in the future or, or that sort of thing. Um, but the idea behind imperfect tense is something that is not yet completed. I am. I am, but still going on. This has a connotation that something is still occurring. It's unfinished. It's continuing, ongoing. The work of God continues. God's covenant hadn't been completed hundreds of years before, when he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was still ongoing. And those who even today try and portray God as finished, that his word is complete, that he may have spoken in ancient times, but now he has grown silent. Once he called prophets, but now he hides in the high heavens while his children suffer. These people who make this portrayal are wrong. The actual Hebrew term, "ayah" is translated I am in in these verses, but it's also used in other places. Even in Exodus, in Exodus 4 verse 12, it reads uh, in the King James Version, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say now the term will be uh where he says now therefore go and i will be with thy mouth the will be it's translated from the same word in in exodus 314 i am in exodus 412 will be but it comes from the same term um I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. This is a a continuing source of help, something that's not finished. He's going to continue his efforts to help us progress. It's incomplete because of us. Um, I think it... I think the other thing to point out that's important, the connection to that, it ties into the work and glory of God to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of men. And because men are not in that state, the work of God continues. Now the Lord knew that the king of Egypt would not let Israel go. But this was an opportunity to witness his power to more than just Egypt at that time. Again, referring to the timelessness, the incomplete nature of this, the unfinished, continuous work of God. He was going to do something that would speak to every generation from that time forward. Moses also needed to get his own act together. There's a passage where he was... Uh, condemned for not keeping the the law that had been given to Abraham and circumcising his son. So Zipporah's wife helps him get his act together. Moses feels shame for not having kept the commandments. Even he is required to submit to God. Aaron, the brother of Moses, is appointed to be a spokesperson for him. And they go to the Hebrew elders and show signs of God's power. And initially, they are accepted by the Hebrews in Egypt. But of course, as God predicted, Pharaoh was unimpressed with their presentation. And it was going to get worse before it got better. In the end, the key is that for us, God is unfinished with us. He is and remains a continuing source of goodness and truth and help. We should continue to try to do as he asks until he declares that it is finished. God had prepared an escape for Moses, and it wasn't glamorous, but it allowed him to endure we also should maybe not be looking so much for glamour as we are for the hand of God continually guiding us toward betterment. Though the enemies of God might at some times, as Pharaoh was, seem to be prevailing, who knows, but that he has softened the heart of someone like Pharaoh's daughter and saved a life that in turn will save many more. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Um, Next week, we will look at Exodus 7 through 13, discussing the plagues of Egypt. Of course, there is a ton that we did not cover in this week's reading. Please study that individually and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on.